Holy! I I was fucking crying, crying with the beer video. I I was and I had a long day. I'm pretty tired. I had to walk like 4k with my bike just to get it fixed, then bike another 8k to go home. And uh, after it was fixed, and then I got home, I was kind of napping when we when we uh well hopped on uh, messenger, and then as soon as I saw that video. <laughs> sports fan has an opinion well these are ours ours welcome to brock and pep's unsportsmanlike convo and here are your hosts brock fleming and pep cariotti good evening ladies and gentlemen we are friday july 20 what are we pep 26 26 26 I am coming to you live from Wasaga Beach, Ontario, home of the longest freshwater beach in the world. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. I'm lucky to know it because I haven't been to the beach very much. I'm not a beach guy. And I am uh, broadcasting from Hull, Quebec, home Booyah. of the longest disgusting sewer in the entire <laughs> world. <laughs> Which used to be a, a very attractive place for us to go and uh, club. Yeah, uh, as a resident, I, I will say that I don't miss those days because it's less rowdy and I, uh, I'm able to sleep through the night. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Not a big fan of the 3 a.m. curfew uh, as a resident of Old Hull. Not now, but yeah, back in the day that, you were. And if imagine back in the day and you lived where you live now. Uh, I don't know if I'd have made it to 26 it's a miracle Scott and the boys survived living downtown, really. Oh, yeah. What was that, 356 Cumberland or something like that? Yeah, it would have been the exact same thing. I couldn't I couldn't do that personally. I mean, it, some people are wired for it. I Some people can drown out this, the noise, the, the street noise. I can't. I used to stand outside the door of their bathroom and piss into their bathroom because it was so disgusting. I didn't want to step foot in there. <laughs> <laughs> It was, I, I, I remember a thing. I said, "How the how do you guys take showers? Like it's disgusting. Oh, it's all I, I, rusted up." And anyway, they and loved in, it. In many ways, in many ways, I respect them for just do you know doing it for living <clears> it and living the dream and you know having frat parties and just shitting everywhere and stuff. It's just yeah. fuck. But God bless them. God bless them. Somebody had to do it. I'm glad I had a home to go to after that and shower up. Yeah. Like, oh, you showering? You got home? Yeah, I was in Mike, Dan, and Scott's place, <laughs> which is really weird because Mike is a clean freak. Oh, and, and you know, I'm sure the other two guys are too. I think when you're just, they were just such gracious hosts. Like they would just anybody come over anytime you want, and there's beer and stuff. You need a place to sleep. You just sleep on the couch or whatever. I, you know, thanks boys for uh, for you know a good half day. Uh, of letting us crash and uh you yeah. know allowing us to fix from the outside the bathroom door yeah quick place to hide out too if you ever needed to get uh <laughs> get out of sight anyway <laughs> yeah my bachelor party anyway <laughs> all right moving on so we are um i'm proud to say that this will be the last time we do this podcast with the setup we have i'd like to shout out to scott again uh, as part of the Canadian Football Institute. So uh, he and I 
work together on that. But one of the things we want to do with CFI is some multimedia type stuff. So whether it's video training, uh, a series in that sense, whether it's interviewing players and coaches, uh, you know, along the lines of the hoggy hangout stuff that I mentioned on the last episode, whatever it may be. Anyway, he's, uh, He's given the okay after her finances to check to order that uh, new piece of equipment that we'll use for podcasting, and that's going to replace the eight different pieces I'm using right now with the thousand wires and whatnot. So when we start going to the RA Center, it should be a lot easier to set up, um, a lot more professional, and uh, hopefully it sounds a lot better as well, although I think the sound has been pretty good. Uh, anyway, shout out to him for making sure the books work and uh, – finding a reason for us to, to, to use it. Anyway, I'm excited for that to be delivered here and uh, at the vacation spot. It gives me something to do instead of sitting by the beach because, again, I am not a beach person. Well, I'm like a beluga on the beach, but like <laughs> one of those albino belugas. Like, oh, I'm afraid to step in the sun because I'm like the ginger skin in me is just going to bubble. Anyway. Uh, listen, man, I, you know, I, uh, I am a beach guy. Um, yeah, you are. I, I'm very much a, just a laze around and drink and and do nothing for five, six, seven straight days. But uh, you know, my my had full intention of getting up there. Um, I'll just my week my week got derailed with a uh, a flat tire on my Jeep, <clears throat> which which ended up being you know two hundred bucks because I needed a new air filter, I got mm-hmm. an oil change, and then my the the cover on my phone or sorry the screen on my phone cracked. Got that replaced. It was defective. I had to bring it back. Uh, next thing you know, I'm, I'm in the whole 300 bucks, which is gas money really for my Jeep to drive up there. Yeah. And then today I get a flat tire on my bike. So it was just like, you're like a country song this week. You're like a country What's song that? this week. I am, I am, I am, I am a country song. There surely there's a, a song with the lyrics that have to do with flat tires and flat bikes. And I don't know. Anyway, well, if there isn't, there so, should be. Agreed. All right, um, we are going to go into football today. We're getting very close to the NFL season, so I'm getting pumped for that. I'm already starting to look at uh, rosters and all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, we have the CFL, which is in full swing, full effect, um, and we got a couple of things we want to discuss, one of them being the Red Blacks Stampeders game that took place last night in Ottawa. Finished seventeen sixteen, and there were a lot of angry fans afterwards that were very much a uh, couch coach positioning in terms of their opinions. Um, and I wanted to get your take on it. Obviously, there was for those who don't know, the game finished seventeen six with about a minute forty left. Ottawa stopped Calgary from getting in the end zone, went to and out, and they had to make a decision. Uh, being down, uh, be, Ottawa was up by four points, so they would either punt from their end zone and hopefully hold Calgary from getting in the uh, getting a touchdown with a minute and twenty left, I think, or give up the safety, try and kill some time, kick it deep, and try and keep them out of field goal range. Ultimately. Ottawa decided to give up the safety, kick off from the 35. Calgary had a pretty decent return and got to about midfield or just past, I think, 
and only killed about five seconds. Anyway, was able to get another couple first downs, kill the clock, kick the field goal to win uh, at the last second. A lot of people upset. Pierre, I'm assuming you got a chance to see that game. You know, I was actually, uh, I, I only caught the tail end of it. I was out in Canada playing my own softball game, and uh, uh, we got back to the pub just in time to watch the uh, the end. And uh, look, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a calculated risk. It's, uh it's not a, it's not something I would have done. I never want to give the other team points. Certainly not not um, to put a, t- a team in a position to win. If it would have been a, a a single, that's a whole other ball game. But like you know, you're giving the the other team an opportunity to kick a field goal to win versus a kick a field goal to tie. But that being said, I mean, no, he, they could not kick a field goal to tie. Just for the record, oh yeah, okay. If you're if you're saying if you give up one point, yeah, I, okay, I would have I wouldn't have given up a safety. Like I, I wouldn't have made that call if I'm if I'm Coach Campbell. But you know, he owned up to it pretty quick. And he he put his defense on task. Like he put his defense, say, look, you, you guys gotta get a stop. You guys can win us the game. You you've held Calgary to at that point fourteen points. You know, you're a top five CFL defense. Go win us this game because we're pinned in our own zone. And if if you I, I don't do what I just did, then you know Calgary can score a touchdown and really put the nail on the coffin. So I, I like I, I like the call. It's gutsy. Um, it's it was the wrong call. I mean, I would have made probably done something something similar, but um, I don't think I would have given up two. I'm not sure if there's a situation where they could have given up one. I think the guy, what the guy just ran out of bounds. Yeah, if you go if you run out of bounds, there's no way to give up one in that point. Just so for the record, yeah, you either run out of bounds in the end zone, two points. You run out of bounds past the end zone, in which case it's just a loss. You're giving the ball to Calgary at whatever you go out. You punt the ball. That's the, those are your only options. Or you run a play and try and get a first down. So he punts the ball. Calgary's getting the ball in Ottawa territory. There's no way that punt is going beyond 50 100%. yards. So, so, you know, and with that offense... I think Calgary had scored a couple of a couple of points uh, leading up to that whole that whole drive. So I I don't know. I, like for the city to go literally berserk today, and they were littering uh, uh, CTV's Facebook page with like fire the coach, fire the GM. Uh, this one dude was like, uh, I, I've seen I'm a season ticket holder, and he's made so many bad calls throughout the throughout the year. I'm like, you know. First of all, are there any adequate coaches out there ready to take uh, Rick Campbell's place? I mean, right. really, you're going to go out and pluck who? Joe Pow Pow? Like, there's well, there's nobody, you know, Wally Buono? Like, Joe Pow Pow, okay, I'll get into him later in terms of what is going on with Ottawa and why they haven't been doing very well. I think he's, anyway, before we get into Pow Pow, I think, I think he's a big part of it. Um, he wasn't a great coordinator when he was in Ottawa before, the head coach and, and how they ran their offense. And I think he's been forced into this position because um, the other OC left right before the season. And I just, I think it's the same thing. So I'm looking at, okay, I'll, I'll quick finish this thought, but I want to go back to the, the call. Um, you look at Arbuckle with Calgary and you look at the situation that Calgary puts him in. He is... One, two, ball's gone. Okay, so there's a lot of quick slants, quick reads. One to two, uh, you know, they're reading one, maybe two defenders, and he's making a decision as soon as that defender commits one way or the other. 
Jennings doesn't have those same play calls from what I can see. Uh, or he's holding on to it and he doesn't trust his eyes as to what he's supposed to see. But I just don't feel that he's put in the same situation as an Arbuckle in terms of the play calls that should be given to a guy who's not a perennial starter. He's a backup. So you want to keep things fairly basic. Let them get their feet wet. Uh, let them get some momentum. Now, Jennings did, I think, whip off something like nine or ten completions in a row in the second half. So he was starting to get there. I thought the O-line played pretty darn well. Uh, but in terms of play calls, uh, I just, I feel, I'm really, it's lackluster from Ottawa's side. Now, go ahead. So I, I don't disagree with you. I think, uh, you know, uh, having seen two out of the uh, out of the first three home games, it's clear that they go, they want to go downfield. Um, it's they're 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 not sort of the uh, the Trevor Harris um, you know slant in slant. They're going down the field with the ball with the, with these quarterbacks. So you know is that is that Pow Pow's offense? Looks like it. Um, it's like a combination of conservative running where there's really no deception. It's just like, we're going to run it. This is a running down. So we're going to run it. And then, and then down the field throws. And um, he's not really confusing the defense. I think he, they're, they're a very predictable offense right now, which is probably the issue, but getting back to the, to the, the call yesterday, you know, we got two good CFL teams mm-hmm. in the great cup last year. One play here, one play there. That game switches ends, and it's and it's Ottawa's win. So for the city to be up in arms and like calling for the coach and the GM, five years in existence, twenty fourteen, year one they finished fourth in the East. Year two they made the Grey Cup. Year three they made the Grey Cup. They year win the four, Grey Cup, yeah. No, I mean, like I mean, they, out of four of the five years they won the East. Oh, sorry, three three out of five years they actually won the East. With a fourth year, they finished second, and then their, their expansion year, they were fourth. So, like, what more do you want from a coach? What, like, um, worst seasons, I think his worst season was the expansion year, and then the rest of the years he was, like, 12 or 11 and a couple of eight and nines. Like, CFL, you know he does have a losing record, eh, still? He has a losing record in the CFL, apparently. They said that last you know, night. I haven't checked it, but I thought that was interesting. I don't think in the CFL that's as big a deal as it would be as an NFL team, just because there's a, there's two extra, there's what two extra regular season games yeah. to lose. You, you rarely see 16 and, and one teams or uh, sorry, 17 and one teams in the CFL. You just don't, you don't, you don't see that. So a 500 record in the CFL is a lot more common than in the NFL. So I would, I would toss this record out and look at a uh, great cup appearances. That would be a little bit more important, uh, a stat. So is that Ottawa in general in terms of a sports town that it's really either you're winning or no, like it's almost, it's all or nothing. Like they just, they can't take the, the ups and downs of a team or, or understand it. It's the, I don't know. Maybe they're just spoiled from the first five years. They've been spoiled in terms of the red blacks, you know, but anybody who's a real football fan had the renegades, had the rough riders, and unless they were my father's age, we're not spoiled because they haven't been doing anything for as long as I can remember. So to, to be spoiled in terms of the Red Blacks coming back and how much success they've had, it's been very nice. But you also have to know that the shoe's got to, or the foot's got to, what's the, what's the saying? The foot's got to come down, the other foot's got to come down. 
Whatever. Eventually. It's been really good. Eventually, the other foot comes down. I don't know if that's the right saying. That's the other thing we've got to do is we've got to have a uh, corrections and uh, fix omissions from the previous episode before the new one. Because we always make mistakes. People call us on it. Sure. And it's great. We've got to correct them. We just haven't. Um, anyway. So whatever that saying happens to be, we got to understand that, you know, what goes up must come down. I know that one. And then, you know, just expect it. Just weather it and say, are we doing the right things to weather that downturn to get us back up? And time will tell, but you can't jump all over the guys that have been doing it extremely well for the last four or five years and have made all the right calls for the most part. Uh, Let them do their thing. In terms of the game, I don't think there was I, – I think the coach was taking the heat regardless. I don't think either scenario would have proved to be uh, a winning recipe for the Red Blacks at that point. They punt the ball. He's punting from at least 10 yards in his end zone. Maybe he gets a wicked punt. That's what, a 60-yarder, something? He's down in midfield, that range. He's out-punted, out-kicked his coverage. So for me, when I think of special teams, I think of where would I feel more vulnerable? And I feel like a punt return is is really one block away from being really explosive, where a kickoff should have a little bit more um, speed on the coverage section and lanes, and, and hopefully you don't get beat. But I think if, the, if Ottawa punts it, they're in the same spot. They'll have a decent return. They're probably sitting at the 30, 35-yard line with uh, a minute to try and get in the end zone. So Calgary, what can they do? They're only down by four. Take a couple shots. Um, they're already almost in field goal range if they have that return. And then you say, well, they didn't get it. They can kick a field goal. Still have 40-some seconds left. Kick it off. You stop Ottawa two and out, which is not hard to do. Get the ball back, and they have a chance to get one first down and punt it in the end zone for a point to tie it or whatever. I just don't think – I think it was a lose-lose situation for him. And he's obviously he's taking the brunt and everything's all oh, that's such a stupid play at the time because it didn't work out. Fine, I get it. You know, not I, I get the point of not giving the other team any points. Um but I really think it was a it was a lose lose of that in that stage of the game. And um if they had covered the kickoff better, Calgary would be sitting at like their own forty. And then you say, Okay, now you got another 30 yards or so to, to go before even in field goal range. And I would have liked to have seen the defense be a little bit more aggressive. Once that return happened, basically you're a first down away from being in field goal range with that kicker. You got you to gotta be really aggressive. And there's a couple plays where I felt like they were just trying not to get beat deep. Um, anyway, you got you to gotta take chances sometimes. But I think it was a lose-lose situation for them, so... I mean, I, I'm a conservative play caller as a, as a, as a coach, like that's my MO as a basketball, basketball player, as I, I don't take a lot of chances. I'm pretty calculated. So as a, as a, but putting myself in Rick Campbell's shoes, you know, it's a conservative play that he made. So it's hard to disagree with him. He gave his defense a chance to win the game for him. At the end of the day, he put, he put the onus on his defense to go out and win us the game. And that's the bottom line. So there's a lot of fault to go around, but it's it was a calculated risk. It backfired. You move on. Agreed. All right. Other notes within that game. Uh, Dominic Davis was dressed, but didn't play. Hmm. So 
they were making a big thing with the analysts on TSN saying, you know, at least the old school mentality was if you're good enough to be dressed, then you're good enough to play. Your thoughts? Well, I th- I don't think that Dickinson uh, wasn't dressed just for the record. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore in, in uh, the CFL or in pro football. I mean, you know, yeah, you might maybe he's dressed as the emergency quarterback, but I mean, maybe he's there's a lingering issue still with with his injury. Uh, and you went with Jennings, giving uh, David another week to heal up, and if something happens to, to Jennings. Davis comes in and hands the ball off 50 times. Like that's, that's reading way too far into that. You know, that's, that's my call on that. So, all right. I mean, if he's going to come in and just hand the ball off and put Sinopoli back there, just hand the ball off as a third emergency one, you know, like other than that, why are you dressed? I can see part of that. And, you know, from a player's perspective, um, you know, if an offense is struggling and the offensive line is like, you know, Jennings is not getting it done. You're not putting – you aren't putting aren't in, you know, and you're looking over and Davis is dressed, you know, lid on. You say, well, fuck, why aren't you out there? Anyway. Yeah, it's a good point. You, there's a um, game on right now that's of interest to uh, Ottawa, and uh, I think we're going to take a quick break because we're having a little bit of feedback on my end here. Uh, that we should probably address. But when we come back from break, we'll talk about what's going on right now with Hamilton and Winnipeg. Sounds good. But I'm on my break. And we are back. Technical difficulties fixed. Thank you, Brock. I tell you, Brock is the technical brains behind this whole operation. I have contributed, like, nothing, really. Nothing. Nothing from an equipment standpoint. I've got these stupid headphones that I got from work. Um, yeah, we got to fix I don't those. Use, I don't even use the mic, really, but it just looks fancy. So when I take selfies about our podcast, it looks like I'm actually like, oh, wow, this guy's got a microphone thing. He, uh, he, I look like an, one of those evangelical dudes there who, <laughs> you know, making guys disappear or faint. Yeah. Anyway, we are back. And there's a game on right now. And there's a CFL game on that uh, is probably of some interest to Ottawa. Um, it's the number one place Hamilton Tiger Cats p- facing the West's number one. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and it's 17-9 to 9 come, going into the third quarter. But uh, of more importance and a bigger news is that uh, Mazzoli, the quarterback for Hamilton, appears to have blown his knee out. He is no longer in pads. He's on the sideline with a heat brace, limping significantly. So um, they've got their backup in. And you know what? It's funny. Eh? The CFL is a funny league like that. Anytime a backup comes in, it's like, is he the next Dave Dickinson or is he the next unknown to uh, take over the league? The, the next uh, Travis Lule, you know? So, yeah. Um, I Just don't know a, a correction, real quick, actually. My brother uh, was listening. So when we went to break, he said, I hear, who's Dickinson? I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, yeah, what's who's- his name? He's like, Bo Levi Mitchell. I'm like, correct. I made a, a comment saying Dickinson was uh, not in uniform for the record, but it was Bo Levi Mitchell, I meant to say. He's still a Calgary quarterback, just 10, 15 years too late. So Listen, there's dude, our my first brother does that. My brother does that all the time where I'm I'm Curtis and uh, you're, you're Terry. My brother will say like a name <laughs> like Franco Harris when he means like some other hair, Trevor Jerome Harris. Bettis, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I always correct him. So it's all good. I'm with Curtis. Uh, I feel him. Good, good, good. He's in the room. He's in the room. Anyways, yeah. So, 
Here we are with Mazzoli potentially on the sideline. And anytime you see any, it was one of those situations where it was a non-contact uh, injury. So he just, he planted and went down like a ton of bricks and didn't get back up, kept his helmet on, was discouraged, had all his players coming up, patting him on the back. So, you know, we've seen this situation many times, Brock, where a guy goes down and the players come over to console him. Helmet stays on to, to not show emotion. What's your take on that kind of injury, Brock, when that happens? Number one, that's the first part of my question. The second part is how demoralizing is it for a team when you're playing so well, you're first in the East, the other teams are struggling, although Montreal looks pretty good lately. Um, you've got the division by the, by the balls, really, and uh, your starting quarterback goes down. What does that do for the rest of the players? Uh I mean, the injury itself is very much a fluke injury, so it's not even, you know, like it was a cheap hit or uh, anything where you can really, like there's some anger involved and some disappointment, but there's nowhere to put the anger uh, because it was, it was literally just one of those like sports god fluke injuries. Um, you know, that being said, he's back on the sidelines undressed, um, you know, seems to be giving the sign of, yeah, I'm good. Like it's not a career, uh, season ending, but it's a, you know, if it was going to happen, it might as well happen now in the sixth game of the season. So you got a long time to recover. Um, not only that, it gives, uh, you know, the backup some more playing time. So you get some more confidence in him. You know, Hamilton's not in the position they're in just because of Masoli. You know, he's not the guy who's carrying the team. So uh, although he's been playing well, he's not uh, – the whole team, like it's just the, the team's not going to go to shit. The defense will step up. They've been playing extremely well. Um, you know, their whole team has been playing well. So I think it's just going to bring them together a bit, a bit more. It's going to give their backup quarterback some more experience. And I think, uh, I think they'll be fine and probably even better over the long run. But, uh, you know, it sucks, especially in a game like this. So it's not even – like it was a game against the Argonauts where they say, okay, you know, we can get out of this game. That's fine. You're playing and you want to be as close to 100% because you're playing the best team in the CFL right now. So you want to step up. And that being said, Hamilton is stepping up. I mean, right now they're up 20 to 9. So they're, they're, they're stepping up their play. But it's, I mean, it's tough for, uh, for Masoli more than anybody, probably. You know, and he's, Masoli's been, you know, uh, in 2015, uh, arguably he, he and Caleros were neck and neck for that starting position. And Caleros had that injury and Mazzoli took the ball and ran with it. So, you know, Mazzoli knows what it's like to get your opportunity. And, um, you know, due to injury, this kid who's in now is getting his opportunity. And you never want to see that, right? You never want to ha have your big chance based on another guy's injury. But, you know, oftentimes that's what happens. So, um and this Masoli's, is a great, Masoli's played over his head too. Like Masoli's expectations when he came in the league were decent, but you know when he was neck and neck with Caleros, he he wasn't supposed to be. You know, Caleros was supposed to be the clear number one guy. He was the big, the big name, the guy they're giving all the money to back in that day, and he's you know he's proved himself to be a, a, a legit quarterback for the CFL. Yeah, you know he he checks off all the all the CFL QB uh, attributes you want. Like right. he's American. Got quick, he, um, yeah, yeah, he's got, but he's got quick feet, big arm, um, and he can get, he can scramble and get and create plays down the field uh, and extend plays. So, you know, he may not have been your prototypical CFL quarterback when he first came in. He's, I don't think he's that tall. 
No, but, he's not. We uh, see him walk out there after we yeah. had his equipment off. Like the, uh, the equipment guy was looking down on the kid. Yeah, but you know he's like Doug. Doug Flutie wasn't that tall other. So I know I, I like Mazzoli. I always liked this game just because he's got a he's got a big arm. And you know in the CFL, if he can extend players, guys can get downfield. So, um, anyways, so this could open up a door for a wide open East if this is a a, a longer injury than anticipated. You know, this opens a door for Montreal and for uh, Ottawa. And I, and I think we can all agree that Toronto is going to be hard-pressed to win a game. Uh, they, you know, Bethel Thompson's come in and tried to hold the fort down, but his guys aren't aren't running for him. His, his guys aren't working for him, especially uh, his wide receivers, dropping balls, not running proper routes. Uh, Corey Chamberlain, I think, is their head coach. He's been, every time they turn to him, he's chewing somebody out. And not just chewing somebody out, but like army drill sergeant chewing them out, you know? And I don't know if that works with these guys, man. The, the player in this day and age, if a coach went up to you and started army drill, sar- drill sergeant, you know, yelling at you right in your face on national television, how would you react, Brock, being a former player? Uh, you don't take that very lightly. And especially at this level, because everybody here, they're men. They're, they're guys with, a lot of them have kids, wives. So the same as if somebody came up to you in the street and started chewing you out in your face kind of thing. Like there's a level of uh, respect there that seems to be crossed. And I can see uh, guys that are, have a lot shorter temper than I would lose it on the sidelines and, you know, not care. And the CFL, I mean, you're, you're getting paid to play. But depending on who that is, it's not a whole lot of money. So uh, anyway – no, I think it was a DB. He was chewing out, and it and it was it was nasty. Like he was, it was almost a, he almost grabbed him by the scruff of his collar. You could tell he wanted to grab him. So Corey Chamberlain, I've never been a big fan of him. Even just his demeanor on the sideline, I, uh, you know, but you got to relax. Like you said, Brock, you're dealing with men, you know, and you don't don't disrespect a guy on national television like that. It's going to make every highlight. Like you know, for a couple of days, it made every highlight. And then Bethel Thompson, they they interviewed him right after the game. And to his credit, he, he took a lot of the blame. But, I mean, like, you know, his, his coach is chewing everybody out. Uh, you know, I'm so, good on him for not throwing coach under the bus because he could have. So there's there's some serious issues in Toronto aside from the attendance issues. Yeah, whatever. We're not getting into attendance there because that's – That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But where's, uh, where's a guy like Mike O'Connor, a kid from, uh, from Orleans who, you know, Penn State, UBC uh, – was he drafted by Toronto? I think he was drafted by Toronto. Tried it with the Seahawks for a bit, whatever. But where's a guy like him? Say, so, you know, let's uh, – none of your quarterbacks are doing anything. So there's not no. like you have a Ricky Ray and you say, well, we suck, but Ricky Ray's like our only bright spot. No, you do not have any real bright spots. There's some talent on paper, but you're not playing the way it's supposed to do. Your quarterbacks are not great. Why not – have a guy like that, a Canadian that might uh, garner a little bit of interest, a little bit of fan, um, well, I guess interest still, and say, why aren't you guys showing up to, or show up and watch this Canadian kid and try and play in the CFL? At least you have a story, you have something that's of relevance uh, yep. versus what the Argos have right now, which is nothing. Well, they went into the, they went into the season with James Franklin, right? Yeah, James Franklin was their was their starting quarterback, and he's really nothing more than Jonathan Jennings with a bigger arm, really. Um, 
so if they went into the season pinning their hopes on James Franklin, you know, that was a recipe for disaster. So anyway, it's a, it's not a good situation in Toronto. They're they're uh, they're far and away the worst team in the uh, CFL, even though the uh, BC's just right behind, uh, right ahead of them in the standings with one win. But I see, I don't see BC struggling the whole season. They've got a lot of new personnel and a new coach. So yeah, I no, mean, BC got some- will. We'll be fine. Yeah. It's just a matter of how far to let it go before they turn it back on, and is it going to be too late at that point? Because the West is pretty strong. But that's it. Uh, BC and Toronto are, even though it's one win, I think it's uh, they're light years away from each other right now. Yeah. So you're looking at the worst team in the West is far, far above and away better than the worst team in the East. So you know you gotta. It gives hope to guys like uh, teams like Ottawa. So people need to. Re- the whole point of this is people need to relax in Ottawa. You're two and three. Everybody calm your jets, okay? It's yeah. it, it's not the end of the world. You still got a couple of games against Toronto over the course of the year. You're going to play Saskatchewan on the road at some point. There's a winnable game. You got BC. Like, everybody just calm down. So, Ottawa, relax. My, I, I made a comment on uh, CTV's Facebook page. and uh, No. It got, yeah, and it got broadcasted today again. All right. And it, it was quite simply, Ottawa's been in the league five years. We've been to three great cups we've won one everybody calm down point final we're not there's wholesale changes at this point you want continuity you want a, a stable franchise ottawa's a pretty good example at this point they're a pretty good example i'm 41 so i've seen it not be a really good great example but right now well, we're talking about the second incarnation of this team buddy third. you know right like we're not talking renegades Renegade, that's tw- 2004. That's a, that's a that's eons ago. The CFL wasn't as healthy as it is now. So, like there there's the CFL has shown growth. I I don't even equate what the teams from that era to now in terms of like the health of the of the um, of the, the league, league overall. Yeah, you know? it's a healthy league. So, well, I was watching uh, was it DJ and the Cowboy, kind of rare and Aaron Joseph doing their pregame and yeah. postgame stuff Facebook Live, and. Yeah. Uh, I watched a little bit of the post game one, and uh, that from the clock tower. Do that from the clock tower. <laughs> no, they do it from the field, but it's put on. Okay. I think they're sponsored by a couple people, and I think it's like a it's a Facebook live. So I don't know what they record with, but I sent I made a comment on it, and they uh, saw that like in real time, you know. So um, I got to find out how they do that because it's kind of cool. But anyway, I was watching Ken interview a couple of the players after the game. One of them Crockett, and another one uh, I'm trying to think who the other guy was, but both times. He was asking about the game and the thoughts on the game. And they, you know, it sucks they lost. And he's and he throws out the the quote about silver linings. So he's like, you got, you know, there's got to be a silver line that you're going to go to bed. Say, you know, versus 31 to one last week. You know, you're 17, 16 now, and it's, uh, you know, there's a silver lining there you could take from it. And both players said, no, we're we lost. Like there's, we're professionals. We're here to win or lose. We're not here for, you know, these good feelings and silver linings and whatever. So he got shut down twice. Which, from a an ex-player standpoint, I think he would probably understand that too. I get it from the stand, the the fan standpoint, and like analysts say, okay, well, you know, they played a lot better. But I mean, he's been in those shoes, so you, you got to know that you don't. No athlete's going to be like, yeah, you know, you're right. You know, I'm going to go to bed happy tonight because we lost. I'm going to take the silver lining here. You can do that, but don't ask them that after the game. Do that on Monday. Tuesday yeah. when they watched the film. So, yeah, we did some good things. It was just a couple of things we had to tighten up and we'd be all over it. So that thing yeah. was one that was kind of annoying. And I'd like to do a shout-out real quick to a 
A guy named Robertson Daniel. He's number zero for Calgary. And I'd like to shout out the fact that he's the only football player I think I've ever seen in my life who paints his face like he's the fucking Joker on Batman. He's got white paint, black, red. It's all over. You're a grown man playing in a professional football league. Stop painting your face like you're trying to be Latimer from the friggin' the program. <laughs> I saw that. I had to. I wish I had stop and rewind here in Wasaga, but I was. Ugh, it's brutal. Come <laughs> you on, don't man. Like that? No. no. Yeah. It should be outlawed. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's but not even. It's it not even a, done well. Does it pose a threat to his health? Like, does it, if the paint paint get the, would that paint get in his eyes? He, if it got on his forehead or whatever, or like, is that something that he's? It's probably leaking. Issue? It's probably he's probably yeah. ingesting some of it. Yeah. Maybe that's why. That's it's stupid. You look like an idiot. Yeah. I, look, I I didn't see it. Uh, I know that. Um, NFL great John Randall used to paint his whole face black, like, um, and it was really it wasn't great, but it was it was intimidating, and he would bark and scream, but he he had the game to to back it up. But uh, you know, this I Daniel knew some Robinson of those would guy. bring would you'd bring stuff like that up, which I get. Uh, you know, John Randall is black, and then and he put black paint on, and it was just one color. It was like what eye black that was then you know smudged across his face, whatever. But he didn't use multiple colors. He didn't have like. Uh, uh, anyway, so is it what? What position does this guy play? I think he's like a D end or somewhere down on the defensive line or an outside okay, linebacker, so depending on where he's coming from. But okay, so he's getting gritty then. He's got. He's getting. Uh, he's not a DB or you know. He's not a DB. No, but okay. Anyway, I saw it. I just uh, if I if I played <laughs> against that, I would not be intimidated by it. It would, it would make me more aggressive and extra fuel to say there is no way this guy who paints his face like a knob is going to be the guy that beats me. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit there in film session and say the guy with the makeup beat me. <laughs> Robertson Daniel, if you're listening, uh, not a fan. Listen, man, cut the cut the makeup. Uh, no, it's. Uh, I, I don't know if you're doing it yourself, Bud, or if you've got someone, a uh, team, a team esthetician that's getting on there with the makeup <laughs> and stuff. But uh, gonna need you to stop with the makeup. I think is the, the uh, point of that. You want to get attention? Just make plays. Don't put yeah. makeup on your face. You're already trying to get attention by wearing number zero because you know that gets some attention. Zero and sixty-nine are the two numbers to get the most attention. I think. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, anyway. buddy. Uh, back in the day, I think back in the day, I don't know if the CFL ever ever implemented this, but I know in the NFL back in the day. Actually, no, I think it's still in the NFL. There are number designations, right? If you're on the O line, yep. you you think from uh, fifty plus, right? I believe. Uh, yeah, 50 I think to, the NFL is a little bit different. I think it's uh, I think it's sixteen seventies just for O line. I don't think there's a lot of fifties. Well, Mar- Marquis Pouncey's fifty three. Maybe interior. Or maybe you get some 50s, because I know primarily there's a lot more 60s and 70s than there are other 50s. Yeah, and then the 80s are receivers, 90s are DNs, or D, D tackles. Yeah, there's uh, – yeah. Anyway, yes, you're right. There are a number of – Does the CFL have that, though? Uh, yeah, because um, there are eligible numbers and ineligible numbers for certain things. I don't think the, the rules are as strict in Canada, I don't think. 
but it's it's all about eligibility and whatnot. So like if a lineman comes yeah. in as an extra lineman, he's got to designate or he's got to put on like a seventies number or something. So anyway, anyway, Robert, Robertson, rules. Daniel, yeah, Robertson, whatever, Daniel, put a nine in front of this zero and take the paint off for your good buddy. Yeah, yeah, your style points are the same as your number zero, yeah. zero. Uh, all right. You want to take a quick break and then we're gonna go over some NFL stuff. Yeah, sounds good. All right. But I'm on my break. All right. And we are back. Uh, before we get on to the NFL, I'll write a quick shout-out to Lewis Ward, a University of Ottawa alumni, uh, current Red Blacks field goal kicker. And he has now got his active streak since he's come in the league at 64 field goals in a row without missing and they are not babying him at all because he hit uh, three or four over 50 in the last couple of uh, weeks so they're using him they're putting him to the test but he has lived up to it uh, shout out to Lewis Ward and you know every kick he makes it's it's sure to be a, just a little bit more tense and a little bit more tense you know he wants that streak to keep going you know, it's pretty crazy. Like, uh, it, it, it's nothing short of, like, a, a pitcher reaching the ninth inning and a couple more outs before he gets a no-hitter. You know, the the strike zone seems to get a little bit smaller, and you're trying to make the perfect pitch. You, you yeah. think he's going through that right now, trying to make the perfect kick every every kick because the streak is uh, so long? And Well, I think, I mean, he's already beat the streak, right? So if it was the the tense moments came when he was two or three away from tying it, or breaking it a very long time record. So I think now everything's basically, uh, you know, the cherry on top. So I think there should be a lot less pressure. I mean, other than the actual game situations. Yeah. Uh, I think in terms of a streak, I think it's less. It's just, let's just keep going. Like, uh, yeah. You know, everything is gravy. So uh, he's been, he's been clutch and the pressure does not seem to get to him, which is great. Pretty wild. Anyway, moving on to the NFL, we have camps are in session, and although it's uh, only a couple days in, there are a few, uh, I want to say newsworthy uh, incidences that have happened or that are happening, none of which are actually football-related for performance on the field. But uh, we have notable holdouts. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott being one, Melvin Gordon being another, and Michael Thomas are the three that have really caught my attention. Uh, I was watching a thing on Michael Thomas, and he's scheduled to make only, now only, $1.1 million next year. He's the top receiver in the league. Uh, In terms of a per-catch cash value, I think think he's at, he makes $12,000 a catch, Michael Thomas. Uh, Hopkins, and I think, shoot, is it OBJ? I can't remember who the other one was that he used. Maybe Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, and it was a hundred and forty thousand dollars a catch, and like a hundred and twenty-five or something. So it was over ten times the amount of money per catch that those other receivers are getting. So obviously he's holding out. Uh, I think he's on the fifth year of his rookie deal, which was a. Uh, I think a, uh, I was trying to do research on those rookie deals because there's a lot of issues in terms of uh, 
especially running backs and what the deals they get. So no surprise, Ezekiel and Gordon are, are two that are holding out, both on rookie deals still. And the issue is that there's such a short lifespan of terms of running backs in the NFL that it's really not giving these guys, or these guys have to do this in order to try and get paid before the end of their career. Well, I before... I have my thoughts on running backs because uh, I just I, I don't necessarily believe that they're they should be looked at as a replaceable entity because I mean they, yes anybody's replaceable in the NFL you know it's you, it's a plug and play league like injuries are going to happen to every position so but when we talk about the Michael Thomas situation uh, Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk reported today that they're close to a contract extension so. That would be that's great news for not only Michael Thomas because he's arguably the best receiver in the NFL next to Julio Jones, but uh, also for the Saints they can afford to lose him <laughs> one more year of him and he's gone. That's it for the Saints. He's uh, you know he makes Drew Brees look really really good you know with the yards after the catch. So um, hopefully they can get an extension done. That's funny you should bring up yards after the catch. I'd like to address that as well, but uh, I don't know if Drew Brees had anything to do with this deal getting done because if I'm in Drew Brees' shoes, I got one, maybe two years left. I'm already pushing it, but I'm coming back because the Saints have a legitimate shot of being Super Bowl contenders. And without Michael Thomas, those aspirations don't really happen because there's really no number two in New Orleans. That's it. And if I'm Drew Brees, am I coming back to a team that doesn't have my number one guy? Probably not. So you make a call. Hopefully ownership does it. I'm also Drew Brees, and I'm <laughs> I'm taking a pay cut. I'm like, you know, if they're not going to make a deal, hey, Mike, come back. I'll throw you a couple million bucks. Yeah, I, you have that kind yeah, of money. Oh, yeah. I'd say here, I'll give, I'll triple your salary this year just to play with me. Out of all the guys that you mentioned, uh, with Gordon Elliott and uh, Michael Thomas, it is far and away imperative that the Saints sign Michael Thomas before Zeke Elliott comes back and before Melvin Gordon comes back. I, I actually think Melvin Gordon is the least important out of those three, although he is a great running back. Um, Zeke Elliott actually, I think he led the league in rushing two out of his first three years. So he, there's he's a proven commodity, but it just like you can't hold out. <laughs> you can't hold out, you know, because your next contract Guys, teams are going to be wary of oh, if, we, if this guy isn't happy, he's going to hold out. Or if this guy, if we if we don't treat him like uh, like he wants to be treated, he's gonna is he going to play full on for us because he want to preserve his body and play twenty years like Adrian Peterson's playing. So it's such a it's such a fine balance with this holding out business. It didn't work for Le'Veon Bell. It really didn't. He pissed away seventeen mil. And uh, speaking of Le'Veon Bell, he was late for practice today, an hour late for his first practice. But that's a whole other story. Speaking of Adrian Peterson and blowing money, that guy's broke and uh, is in debt still. And even with his million five to stay in Washington, million dollar contract, he's still going to be in debt. And he's made over a hundred million. That's a sad story. That's a sad story, bud. I I saw that, and I know there was a couple of jokes made. And I, uh, you know, I'm not an Adrian Peterson fan as a person based on the fact that he, he, uh, I think he abused his kid and got really a slap on the wrist for it. Um. What he's like as a human being, I, I, I don't know. I could just base it on that one story. I, I, don't, I can't say if he's a good man or not, but 
you know, it's sad that he's broke. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it was uh, uh, bad advice or somebody taking advantage of him or whatever, which seems to be a lot of the the similarities between stories of guys going broke. They think they're they're trusting the right people uh, to to think of their future and to do the right things with their money because they are not experienced with it. And either the deals go bad, that person takes advantage of them, whatever happens. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's sad stories. I mean, uh, I think Joe Winton brought up the 30 for 30 on, uh, I can't remember what it was called now, but it's basically all about professional players who've gone broke. Um, Andre Rise and Bernie Kosar. Oh, yeah. Leon Searcy. There were some A lot of guys you'd never even think of. You, you haven't heard yeah. of them being, you know, and you never think they would be broke. But Bernie uh, Kosar's dad. Yeah. Misjud- you yeah. know, mishandle all his money. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it, it's not always that guy's fault. It's not, it wasn't his father's plan to screw up his son's life. He probably think he was doing the right thing, but. You know, that I've watched a lot of those 30 for 30s, as you have, and uh, there's a there's a bunch of them that stand out. There's a bunch of them that I won't watch. Like, the, there's a couple on soccer that I could give a fuck about. But there was um, there was one on Marcus Dupree. You see that one? Oh, yeah. A few times. Uh, yeah, and that's that was... That was one it called really The Greatest hurt. It Never Was or something? Right. Yeah, I mean, ama- amazing, uh, amazing college career. Yep. Questions about his conditioning towards the end. His last year, I think, with uh, was it Alabama that he was with? Uh, no, or Oklahoma. Oklahoma. He was with Oklahoma. Very, very Switzer. Uh, and you know what? I actually I left watching that thirty for thirty with a lot more respect for Barry Switzer. Um, they had very frank conversations with him, and he was very open and honest with how he managed Marcus Dupree. And he would he said, you know, like. Marcus should have started as a freshman. Marcus should have been doing all that, but I was trying to keep him humble and and understand like the the order of things and the seniors in here have to step up and you got to prove yourself and all that kind of. And he was very hard on him, and he was you know he took onus for that. And Marcus did not respond well to that whatsoever. And because of that, you know his desire to play and uh, play for Oklahoma and play for Switzer was diminished. He had a lot of um, uh, resentment towards uh, Switzer and Switzer, you know, he f- he thought he was doing him a, a, a service in terms of making sure he understood and building and grooming this young man to play pro. Uh, but it, it backfired, and because of that, uh, basically, you know, kind of ended this kid's career really. Um, so, but he took responsibility for that. So I respect him for being honest about it. Um, but Marcus was, I mean, shoot, he got up to 300 pounds, I think, and then decided, oh, I'm going to go try for the NFL again and got like ridiculously ripped once again. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And had a stint in the NFL for a couple of years. Uh, yeah. He was a backup in LA. Yeah. I remember, I remember, I actually remember one of my first, I think it was either Madden or, uh, or Joe Montana football for the Genesis. I remember RB Dupree being the being the running back for I never knew and you know I I didn't know Marcus Dupree back then I didn't know what his game was or but like watching them thirty for thirty I, it brought back it flooded my memory bank really like, eh? oh I that Rams uh, RB Dupree he was a big boy too like he was oh. a prototypical running back in the NFL back then but he actually the year he got cut he led the Rams in preseason that that year in in rushing and they cut him so 
you know, who knows? He could have played a, a couple more years. At least he was still a relatively young guy. But, you know, that that was a situation. The reason why I brought him up is because I think it was his uncle who mismanaged all his money. Oh, I don't remember that part. Or a, No, sorry. It was a family friend who basically mismanaged all his money. So when he got hurt playing for the U, was it the USFL's Breakers, Louisiana Breakers or whatever they were, and he, and he, okay. he tore his knee up, um, his, his, this, this family friend pissed away all his money. Yeah. He's making a million dollars a year for three seasons, and he had nothing to show for it. He was a trucker driving a truck. So, anyway, back to the NFL. Um, so, I do want to know your thoughts, Brock, on what you think the importance is of Zeke Elliott getting signed and Melvin Gordon. I mean, I've given you my thoughts. I think the running back position is important, but I do think these guys are replaceable. Yeah, I think they're all, uh, like you said, it's plug and play. But uh, I think the other two guys a little bit more so than uh, Michael Thomas, just from a sheer um, Position. relationship with Breeze. And that um, that understanding on the field is something that takes a long time to develop. A running back you know, has to have a bit of a, a feel with their offensive line, but ultimately where you're shooting for and, and uh, holes you're, you're looking at are, should be fairly standard. Uh, so I just think in terms of a breeze and the importance of him on the field, he needs to have Michael Thomas there as well because not only if he's throwing to him and timing, but also how he plays off Michael Thomas to open the other receivers, I think is huge for the passing game. And I think without him, the Saints are going to take a, a huge step back in terms of offensive production. Um, you know, the the importance of uh, Zeke and, and Gordon getting signed, um, yes, I do think they're replaceable. Um, Gordon more than Zeke probably, but I think it's more of uh, setting a precedence for uh, the league and the collective bargaining agreement that will be coming out and how contracts are structured um, and how – they're so in favor of the owners for the front half of the contract. You know, uh, you look at what these guys are making. Like, I think if you're in a first-round pick, so, again, I was trying to study up on the rookie deals, and, you know, basically rookies don't even need agents for the first contract because it's basically all set anyway. The first guy gets X amount. It works out. I think there's an actual calculation for it. And then, like, every draft pick below gets a subsequent fraction of that. Um, so a lot of guys aren't even using uh, agents for the first contract because, like, there's no negotiations. It's just kind of how the league set it up. But if you're in the first year, I think you get a four-year contract with a one-year option that, I, that might be team option. Uh, so you have the longer contracts, but... Those, you know, now we're getting Zeke and Gordon stuff that are falling into these option years. And at the end of that contract, they say, look, we've already proven ourselves. So I think it hurts guys like that that are saying, look, we're like Zeke's a bona fide star. Michael Thompson's yeah. a bona fide star. Gordon is a good system player. <laughs> He's doing all right. But these are guys that are deserving of getting paid while they're doing it because. If one of them gets hurt tomorrow or next year, 
no team is going to give you that money that you are owed because they say, well, you've proven yourself for the first four years and we owe you this money. It's That's just not the way it works. And from a player standpoint and from a guy who, you know, understands it's a business, you do what's best for you. And your business is your body. And if you have the power to hold out and get paid, you got to take it. You got to do it. So, you know. It's well, up to you. If I think you're fo- Dallas, you say, okay, we can plug somebody else in there and say we lose Zeke. And some other team picks him up and pays him and say, well, we can recoup that money, whatever. I think it's uh, they're doing the right thing for themselves. I think football is a whole different beast, eh? I, like, there's really no, like, a, you know, when I think about baseball and the same kind of idea with a, a entry-level contract for a pitcher after their fourth or fifth year, I think, they, I think there are rookie contracts in the MLB too, but, like, I think it's different for a pitcher. Different for like a, pitcher, a pitcher, but Major League Baseball is different in general anyway. Rookie contracts, so if uh, if Vladdy's on a rookie deal and he's up playing with the team, his deal was pretty decent. He's not getting the same as a Bo Bichette who's down in the minors right now, right? Right. The NFL doesn't have minors, so you can't say we're going to sign you for a rookie deal, you're going to groom, we're going to kind of fiddle you in and make sure and then you kind of groom you in to go and then you, you'll start producing that deal's over now you're a, a bona fide major league baseball player and we're going to re-sign you and you're going to get a major league deal nfl is you're playing with the big club from day one but you're getting paid a lot less than you probably should if you're producing and i think that's the difference yeah. there's no you know, you get paid for being a, a minor leaguer or a rookie, and you're playing in the minor leagues. You know, there's so many fine. factors: a eh? organizational philosophies, GMs, like how how teams handle their certain positions. It's there's so many factors in the NFL that I'm just not well versed or or versed enough in how guys get paid and how positions get dictated. Like, I don't see why a running back should make less than a wide receiver, but then again. I'm not the GM and I don't have, I'm not running the offense. I don't see, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you plug and play at every position. So, you know, there's longevity involved. Running backs don't last as long generally. So they may not get as big a contract or as long a contract uh, because guys, you know, teams don't want to invest in a running back who, you know, is now going to be over 30 or 32 in that kind of range. You say, well, now it's going to start dropping off. So you can't have it. You know, a lot of salary cap. Uh, You know, and the thing with the NFL, too, is unless it's the guaranteed or signing bonus money, it doesn't matter what they sign you for. Because they cut you, you know, you get hurt, you don't produce, you're a bad attitude, they cut you, and they're not liable for anything. Let's let's put a cap on this holdout, uh, these holdout topics, but I'm just going to, I want to ask you, if you are... If you are uh, a consultant for Ezekiel Elliott, what are you telling him tomorrow? Uh, well, if I'm a consultant, he calls for him, you up and says, "Hey, Brock, Mr. Fleming, I need you. I need your advice. What should I do? Should I hold out? I've got arguably the best line, uh, O line in the NFL. What do you want? What should I do? Should I? What should I do? First of all, that's right, Mr. Fleming, Ezekiel. That's the first thing. Uh, buy yourself a full T-shirt." Full length. Tuck it in. <laughs> Second, uh, no, I, I say he, you're doing what you're doing. Like, let's hold up. We got to put, you have, you know, opportunity, t- 
timing right now. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you can't hold out if you're a garbage player. He has all the the things that line up in order to successfully hold out. I think he holds out. You know, I'm I'm a consultant for Zeke. I'm not a consultant for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, when Zeke's career is over, other than a few, uh, you know, uh, Ring of Honor ceremonies, maybe Hall of Fame ceremonies, depending on when you're done, sort of thing. Like the Cowboys are not paying you anymore. So take care of Ezekiel Elliott. And that is the time is now. You're healthy. You're at the top of your game. You know, saying that you have a good uh, O-line and a, and, a, and a good team is not something that should make Ezekiel Elliott want to go back quicker. It should make the organization say, we have these other pieces now. We need him in here more so now, so let's pay him the money. That should be in his favor as well. Because if the team sucked, if the team sucked and Ezekiel was the only bright spot, they can say, you know what? Why are we putting money into it right now? Because we suck anyway. So let him hold out, whatever. Maybe we trade him, whatever. They have a pretty decent team. Sign him. But he's got to get paid. So if I'm his advisor, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And I assume you would give the same advice to Melvin Gordon. Yeah. Uh, Melvin Gordon, I would uh, not put my heels in the ground quite as much as Ezekiel Elliott. Um because I think I think he's easier replaced in San Diego uh, than Zeke is in Dallas. Um, and we saw it. He got hurt a little bit last year, too, didn't he? He was banged up a he bit. Did. And we saw some... Uh, he did. Was it Eckler? Was that the other guy that played in uh, yeah. San Diego? Anyway, who, you know, did fairly well. Anyway, I just I don't think Gordon holds as much weight as Ezekiel Elliott does in terms of the holdout. But I still say you hold out. Um, I know it's it the, uh, the, old, the old school, like, we play to win. You know, I, I get I get that. And I get also the fact that it's a balancing act between taking care of yourself too. But if you look if you look at the two rosters, you know, Philip Rivers, you talk about quarterbacks that only have a couple of years left. I mean, he's he's the same draft class as Ben Roethlisberger. You know, he's he looks like he's quite immobile. I think he's coming down to his last couple of years. I mean, now's the win the window for that Los Angeles team is is now. Yeah. Whereas the Cowboys have a young quarterback. Looks like they got some young receivers. Although Jason Witten has come out of retirement, they're still relatively young. They got a big O line. So the urgency for LA. I think is now, whereas the Cowboys still have that a, a window. They're still growing and developing as a roster with that young nucleus. So I don't know. I get that, I, but I, I don't think Melvin Gordon has as much of, doesn't have that effect on Rivers. Rivers doesn't care. Rivers will hand the ball off to whoever. He'll still throw the ball, air it out. So it's not like he's missing uh, his Keenan Allen guy, even though he's only rated 89 in Madden, which I believe. You know, but he's got a couple other good receivers there where he's got that chemistry. Uh, but Gordon doesn't affect that as much. He's just a dump-off guy for Rivers. So I don't yeah. think that's as big a part of, you know, him and Rivers and Rivers being at the end of his career. Like, those kind of uh, facets don't really mean as much to, to Gordon. Um, and, you know, Rivers versus... Um, Dak are two different quarterbacks as well. You know, Rivers is obviously, you know, 
better verse and reading defenses and making reads and be able to throw where Dak uh, does do a lot of the playoff of uh, play action and you know basically Zeke is almost his first read ninety percent of the time. So there is that extra importance there for Dak development and, and how he plays the game. I was just going to say Dak needs Elliott more than Rivers needs Gordon. So uh, you know that's uh, there we have it, folks. In terms of uh, in terms of our holdouts, we'll take a quick break. And uh, we'll come back and uh, finish up with our NFL talk and do a couple of quick hot takes and uh, wrap her up. What do you say, B? Sounds good. And we always say it's short, then it's being long. Okay, right back. Yeah. But I'm on my break. And we're back. Going to finish up on some NFL talk here. Um, again, uh, I, we say quick takes, and they end up being not so quick takes, but we'll just. Uh, couple of interesting stories. Seems like uh, Odell Beckham just can't get over the Giants. Um, and he uh, he's made some comments about Eli Manning. And Manning today shot back and said, listen, uh, I won a few games when you uh, before you ever got to town. So I, I thought that was a pretty good comeback. Uh, clearly, we all know Eli Manning has two Super Bowl rings to Beckham zero. So if I'm Odell Beckham Jr., I'm in a good situation in Cleveland. It's time to just pack up, say, listen, thank you, you know, thank you for my time in New York, and you move on, and that's, it's over. Like, it's over. Yeah. Where, where's your focus, kid, you know? No, I agree. I mean, you're in Cleveland, you know, you're now on my fantasy football team. It's time to focus. <laughs> focus on production. Yeah. Focus on yards after catch. Focus on touchdown receptions. And that's the bottom line. Like, really? <laughs> you know? I feel like Stone Cold there, but... Um, a Anthony, uh, Anthony, Antonio Brown. I don't care to get it right anymore because he's not a Steeler. <laughs> Anthony, it's Anthony Brown for now on. <laughs> Anthony Brown <laughs> took a, a hot air balloon. He's uh, notorious for coming to training camp in elaborate vehicles and and all. You know, I think he took a an airplane or helicopter to one training camp in Pittsburgh. But uh, today he flew over Oakland in a hot air balloon, um, and is actually not even. He's on the, let me just say, what the, the NFI list. What that? does that stand for? Non-football injury list. Oh, shit. Okay. What does that mean? Well, it means he got hurt not playing football, not related to anything training. So, like, if he sliced his hand cutting an apple or something like that, uh, he's out. But that generally means, I don't know if that means he doesn't get paid or what, but... I think that's what so that you know well, Brock, that I, I follow Pittsburgh media pretty religiously. And uh, of course, the Pittsburgh Post Gazette was all over this story today. Uh, Pittsburgh Livewire was on it too. So they said, here we go. These, this is why these two guys got shipped out of town. Le'Veon Bell, an hour late for practice, um, according to one of the reporters. And it really, there's, it's, it's factual, so I, I don't know what Le'Veon Bell's arguing, but it, he, he got upset on Twitter again. He went on another rant, and, he's, and it's, it's not even uh, – it's hard to understand him when he's talking. Like, he, does, he makes no sense at all when he's rambling on about stuff. But, so he went on another rant. Clearly, he, he's, he's very volatile. I think the Jets got their hands full with him. And, of course, Antonio Brown with all these antics. So the Pittsburgh media is, is like, listen, this is exactly why we got rid of these two guys. So do you have a take on that, B? I know you're not a, a huge Pittsburgh Steelers follower, but um, do you no, think Pittsburgh but, is better off without these two guys? Uh, 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, all the attention has been on those two guys and what they're doing and what they're not doing, if they're holding out, if they're coming, if they're upset they're not getting the balls. Like, it's it's a toxic relationship. And, you know, it as really much is. as you say, you know, Odell, stop worrying about the Giants, move on. Same thing with Pittsburgh media. Don't even give them that attention. Move on. Let yeah. Oakland and let New York deal with it, but focus on your team. Focus on the guys that are there. Focus on the stories of... You know, James Conner is miraculous, you know, cancer, survive, and coming back to the NFL. Like, there's a lot of positive stories in Pittsburgh. Focus on those. Focus on the training camp. Get your get your fans excited of the people who are there. Stop worrying about Opie and Dopey that are in different teams. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%, Brock, 100%. And uh, you know what? Pittsburgh's going to surprise some teams. I know it's that's weird to say because they're always – you know, if they're not winning the division, they're they're in a, in a fight for it. They're going to sneak up on some people, Brock. I'm telling you right now, Isaiah Bugs is the real deal. That guy is that guy might be the steal of the draft. Book it. All right, I'll put that. Uh, I'll edit out that little audio clip there for later. Things to watch yes, for. But I think the Steelers did a, a a good job adding by subtracting, uh, and I think overall, I think your team football is such a team sport that getting rid of a couple of cancers in the locker room um, and s- maybe selfish players will go a long way in terms of the morale within that locker room and the team unity. And when you have strong team unity, football teams can be very dangerous. The, uh, you look no further than that, that Steelers team that won the 2008 Super Bowl. I mean, no superstars on that team. Bettis was retired. You know, they had Heinz Warden, Santonio Holmes at receiver. They had guys who just, it was it was the definition of a team. So, you know, I think they're trying to bring back that formula. And uh, I hope it works. As a Steeler fan, I hope it works. Brock, I can't pronounce this guy's name, um, but he's an Arizona Cardinal. I think he was a first-round draft pick either last year, and he was a bit of a, I think he was a project. Um, lot Tons of talent, but just maybe some stuff off the field. It, it, it starts with an N, N-K-E-M. D I C H E. I believe he's a uh, defensive line. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. It's so uh, apparently like Kim Diche or something. Kim Diche. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, apparently, he's out of shape. Uh, he's shown up to camp out of shape, and K- uh, Kingsbury, their new coach, is quite disappointed in him. So, I mean, is that is that the media just making something out of out of you know a guy maybe put on a few extra pounds surely it it must happen a lot with with guys who play the deep line or o line where they come in a pound or two heavier well if any of them were to come to Wasaga Beach for 2 weeks before training camp yeah <laughs> they would show up out of shape and overweight <laughs> robert m dem demkiche anyway i had it a second ago kim uh, diche kim diche well he was robert he was put on the pup list because of it so what does that say I think, well, I mean, whatever. I haven't seen any pictures. I haven't seen, like, the whole reason behind it. But teams will ask certain guys to be at certain weight. So maybe he's heavier than what he's supposed to be. Um, I think generally they're usually blown out of proportion a little bit um, because, I mean, the athletes that are showing up are such high-caliber athletes anyway that, you know, a guy who might be 15 pounds overweight, you know, is going to look – a lot worse with the the rest of those athletes around, but it could. Yep. It's just, you know, the the team is making decisions on what they think he should play at, uh, what his best um, playing weight is, and and 
if it's not at that, then I think it's uh, you know they they put him on that to uh, uh, to force him to get to that certain weight. I don't know. I think it's blown out of proportion. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's he was rehabbing from an ACL too, so there's that issue. You know, maybe the rehab didn't go as planned, and they're using the weight as an excuse to put him on the pup list. But anyway, yeah, uh, a lot of it. On. There's so many things that happened with numbers in terms of who you have on your roster, who you have at camp. And they might see, yeah, we're putting on the pup list. You know, you're a few pounds overweight. It gives you a couple more days to rehab as we can start working with you. But it also lets us have this kid who's a DB who's filling in. Maybe get a chance to look at him. Like, it's all yeah. a juggling act. And yeah. and teams and GMs will use um, all those little uh, things to kind of get an advantage. Uh, next hot topic for me is, you know, a, uh, it's been a point of contention in Pittsburgh for a long time is uh, inside linebacker um you know it's a different it's a different position now than it was when mike singletary was playing where you don't have your inside linebacker making eight thousand tackles you know he needs to be able to pass uh defend the pass um i I think bobby wagner might be the top three inside linebackers in the nfl and he got paid like it today three years 55 million bucks um but I'd say out of all the inside linebackers in the NFL, he, he might be one that deserves it um, really wow. fast. We talked about that last week. He was, there's only four players in the NFL who got a 99 rating on Madden, and he was one of them. Bobby Wagner. Well, he got paid like it. Mike Daniels was cut by the uh, or released by the Green Bay Packers, and he's finalizing a deal today with the Detroit Lions. Big deal? Uh, like, he's probably one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. <sighs> Yeah, well, Detroit's had a few of those in the past and hasn't really done much. So, namely, good luck. Well, Dominican Sue was a huge guy. Alodi Nada, you know. So, I don't know. Good, best of luck for him. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, okay, all right. I thought maybe as a uh, as a guy in the, you know in the trenches, you'd uh, you'd hook up your boy Mike Daniels with a little bit of love. <laughs> well, he's on the other side of the ball, so. Okay, all right. Good good point. And whatever. I have respect for the big guys. I just don't, you know, whatever. I don't know what, uh, I don't know. Detroit's an Uh, anomaly to me completely. So when guys go there, it just doesn't pan out the way I think it is. So even if I say it's a big deal, it's not. And then maybe if I say it's not, it'll end up being a really good deal. Who knows? Quinn and Williams used uh, YouTube workouts instead of hiring a trainer. Love that kid. (laughs) Just... (laughs) <laughs> he's a guy. I, I he's not going to be a guy who loses his money. He's making thirty YouTube. million or something like that, guaranteed. I think or next, whatever. No, he'll yeah. YouTube trainers. Good on him. You have a choice today, Brock Carson Wentz or Cam Newton as your starting quarterback. Cam Newton. Really? Yeah. I like Cam. Based on you like Cam? Yeah, I do. I don't not like him. I think Cam uh, was a Gator at one been, point. Uh, what early in his uh, college career? Or? Uh, yeah, and then uh, there's some stolen laptop thing that he he bought off somebody. Whether or not he knew it was stolen, and it looked it looked bad, and then he just got uh, booted. But he was supposed to be the guy that followed up really? Tebow. Anyway, fascinating. Yep. Um, Aaron Rodgers being called overrated. I don't Who how? called him overrated? How? Some uh, lo- some local media in in Wisconsin. 
Well, I'm glad we don't know the guy's name because I think he's just doing that for attention. Uh, Gotta be right. Like that's I, insane. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I don't know what he's basing on in terms of overratedness. Uh, guys, the guy's good. Uh, Ravens defensive lineman Pierce shed 20 pounds for camp uh, after he was dismissed for poor conditioning early on in the uh, summer. Right on. Is that uh, is that dangerous, Brock? Well, how long are we talking? This was, well, he was dismissed for poor conditioning. That must have been recently. Well, and they have OTAs and stuff like that, right? That happen in, uh, uh, shit, those around April, I think. Yeah. I'm like t- you I'm have some OTAs right there. Now. So if you got booted then, April, May, June, July, you're, you're maybe two, three months, say two months, 20 pounds. To, just uh, um, quoting, um, I'm quoting Jack Brown. Michael Pierce went on a serious diet in preparation for the start of training camp after being dismissed from June's mini camp for being overweight. From so June's a mini month. camp. So yeah, a little twenty pounds. Okay. Good. As, as a personal trainer, as someone who works in the fitness industry, that's a lot of weight to lose in uh, in a, a month. So, you know, I know these guys certainly they go on strict diets and you know their training regimen it gets ramped up. But like, is that is it healthy for a guy to lose that amount of weight in that short amount of time? Let me Be grab a, a pencil. Like Let me grab a pencil real quick. Did I say specifically what he did? Uh, step by he, step, please. Really slowly, and any recipes <laughs> would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's something to do with his diet, I'm guessing that. Uh, yeah. He's only 26, so, I mean, you know, 20 pounds. But he was 360, so oh, that's 360. a big boy. He takes two dumps, and he's down five pounds easily. <laughs> I've been there. But no, whatever. It's good. That's probably, if you're 360, like you're, you're doing a month solid of proper eating and stuff, I'm sure he's fine. I'm not worried about it. I don't think it's dangerous. It's not, you know, we're not talking about uh, a guy who's 210 with 4% body fat losing 20 pounds. So uh, good on him. Congratulations. That's hard work. Now go and earn a spot on the roster. Earl Thomas doesn't regret a single thing about giving Pete Carroll the middle finger after he, he blew out his knee um, in his la- what ended up being his last game with the Seattle Seahawks. Who didn't? Earl Thomas. Oh, right. He was getting that. carted off. He gave uh, Pete Carroll the middle finger. And, uh, you know, he won a Super Bowl with Pete Carroll. Should have won two if it wasn't for that stupid play call. Yeah, um, you know, but there was something, uh, whatever. I'm I'm on the spot right now, but there was something about uh, the situation that he was in during that game. Like he shouldn't have been playing, or he should have been something else. There was something there that I remember. That's why he gave the finger because it was like I should never have been out yeah. there. Um, I don't. I can't remember the context right now, but uh, I remember at the time seeing the the, the flip the bird, and I was like, ah, I get it. So I, I got to yeah, remember I what that was, right. but there was something around that, and no, you give it, don't apologize for it. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that's all we got for football. I think, you know, once camps get started, we'll have a few more stories, but uh, I think for now, if we touched upon holdouts and uh, a few camp stories, and of course my Pittsburgh Steelers, but I want to just run a couple of a couple things uh, by you in terms of the city of Toronto. Um, what are the odds Strowman stays a J after the deadline? Uh I mean, the fact that he hasn't been traded yet, 
<clears throat> is kind of encouraging for him to be staying. Um, but that also is encouraging the fact that the, the, the Jays are not just taking any offer that's out there. They're going to make sure that they get ample uh, value back for him, I think. So uh, I'll give it a... I'll give it a 70-30 that he still gets traded before the, the, the deadline. But I think they, it, for a while it was like a 90-10. They've informed teams today that they they may not trade him. So they've uh, I think that might be just a leverage situation where they're just, you know, if you want to get him, guys, you're going to have to pony up sweeten the, the pot. Yeah, which sweeten the pot, I like so. it. Um, the Twins have uh, inquired about, I believe it was Eric Sogard, and uh, the Jays want – uh, significant return for him. So some interesting uh, situations going on with the Jays. I think we're looking at, you know, Sogard, Giles, Hudson, Smoke, and Stroman or, and or Sanchez. But right now Sanchez's value is so low that you, you almost, you're almost stuck with him. So Yeah, and, you know, you know, he'd be the guy you can give away. The other guys you can't, and I can yeah. I respect them for not giving them away. If you get something good in return, phenomenal. If you don't, they're still with us, phenomenal. You know? Troy Tulowitzki, so, uh Retires. Speaking of uh, yeah. zero return, he retired today. Uh, but I, I will say, listen, I will say this about Troy Tulowitzki. Did he have great regular seasons? I, I think he would be the first to admit that wasn't stellar at the plate, but he was good defensively. And uh, he came in, he came up huge against Texas both years. So, you know, happy trails to him. I wish yep. he wouldn't have left Toronto with such a bitter taste. But, you know, he had to understand it was a rebuild going on. Uh, Vince Carter is still a free agent and says he'll come back to he'd love to come back to Toronto, but Toronto's twenty man roster is full. Plus they've got two guys on two way contracts. So, uh, barring a uh, uh, that's too bad. Barring a surprise, I, I mean I'd I'd love to see him come back in Toronto for especially this year when their expectations aren't as high. Yeah, no, I would love to see him back in Toronto. I'd love to see him finish his career in Toronto. Um, I think that would be really fitting for uh, for him and everything he's done for the city and for the country in terms of basketball and uh, where the – I mean, he's a huge reason as to why the Raptors won last year. And let me, let me tell you, 43 years old, if he comes back, it'll be his 22nd season. That'll break a record. So he'll be the oldest player. Kudos to him for staying in the league this long. I mean, uh, that's, that's remarkable for a basketball player. So I, I'd love to see it. Uh, and then last last but not least on my list, Brock, I've got David Clarkson getting traded back to Toronto. Saw that. Or uh, for their backup goalie, uh, is it Garrett Sparks? Got sent to Golden Knights. And Clarkson's back in town. He is. All right. Well, on that note, um, we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton has beat Winnipeg. Um, okay. And uh, I just saw news that Corey Coleman, the receiver for the Giants, uh, the troubled young one from Cleveland who was traded. He just tore his ACL and is out for the entire season. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. That sucks. I think uh, that is going to be uh, probably all for us tonight. Um, when we start getting in, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, and I can leave them with you now for uh, thought, I guess, more than anything. The NFL is talking about elongating the season. And by elongating, I mean lengthening the season. I don't know where elongating came from, but anyway, uh, to maybe Wait seventeen. A yeah, <laughs> it is getting late. It uh, is getting late. Okay, it's elongating. Okay, uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Do away with the preseason garbage and same. Yes. Get rid of the preseason. Cut that down. Nobody gives two fucks about that. Um, maybe a game or two. Then let's get the damn season going. 
Maybe a game or two just to get your feet wet. Boom, and then away we go. You got to you got to have some to evaluate the rookies. I get it. Fine. Anyway, I'm down for that. And then the other one they talked about uh and I don't know if it's fantasy football related or actually for stats. And I don't think you can change it now because there's so many historical stats for quarterbacks. But talking about taking the yards after catch off of a quarterback stat for passing yards. So Tom Brady throws a three-yard slant, and then Edelman takes it for 90 yards. Does he get those 87 yards of – uh, You know can't I mean? do it now. You can't, you can't you do can't, it now, guys. No. You can't do it now in you terms can't. of historical, no. but from a fantasy standpoint, where it's just you know you're you're basing on stats by certain quarterbacks, that would be very interesting. Um, but, I don't know. Uh, you know what? B, there's uh, that's a tough one because if you lead a if you make a perfect pass and lead a guy on a post play, yeah, if and you there's un- nobody under throw, yeah. yeah. You underthrow him, then he he gets tackled within a few yards. If you if you make a great pass, he gets twenty more to tack on. I I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not sure. I uh, I'm I don't know. That's um, a tough one. I'd like to see the split breakdown though to say, okay, well, this is how many yards when the guy caught the ball, and this is how many yards yeah. that happened after the catch or after somebody touched him. You know, even say the first time guy first person to touch you, like that's when your quarterback thinks that anyway. Yada yada. That's what I'm not getting into tonight because it's too late for that. B, I got I got to bring this up. I got to bring right. this up though. The WNBA, which is really, really, really good basketball. Like it's it's for me, it's next up from college. It, just a little bit slower game, but because there's a lot more offensive sets that are run. But like WNBA is really good to watch. They're going to be testing. I don't know if you heard this uh, on the fly substitutions like hockey lines. Oof. Uh, yeah, you know, if you want to see that, go watch a lacrosse game. Does it work? A lacrosse game is crazy. A buddy of mine, Pat Collins, plays semi-pro in Ottawa. I take Jackson, see them all the time. Jackson loves it now. It's one of the most uh, dirty sports ever because you can slash and do all the things you can't do in hockey, and it's all legal. But what they do is when it comes on defense, all the offensive guys are running to the bench, and you can hear a guy yell, one, two, three, four, and then the defensive guys are run, uh, getting off the other bench into the defensive zone. Then the ball switches over, defense runs off, and the offense is running on. It's, yeah. uh, it's organized chaos, but it's uh, fairly impressive. I could anyway. see that working in basketball. I could, I could see that working in basketball. It'll p- quicken the, the pace to play and maybe remove a few of those stupid timeouts, and uh, that'd be very interesting. It would be we'll interesting. see. I don't know. Who knows? I think it's cool for them to give it a try, so... All right. Well, on that note, we are going yes, out sir. to Kim Mitchell's Patio Lanterns. Okay. Why? Why, you might ask? Well, it was yes, on the I'm Tragically asking. Hip uh, playlist of Spotify. But on the way up to Wasaga Beach every year, we drive through all the kind of the back towns. And one of them has a sign that says Eganville. You know, it's very close to Eganville. I don't know if you've ever been. I've only been one time. I was a uh, young lad. We were with my uh, parents, and we were going to see a Kim Mitchell concert uh, outdoors in Eganville because my dad enjoyed Kim Mitchell music. Uh, I think he liked the skullet uh, that uh, Kim Mitchell sported. Um, oh, yeah. But I remember walking in with my brother, and uh, again, we were pretty young. And I was like, oh, it smells, something smells really good. My mom was like, that's marijuana. I was like, okay. <laughs> so that was the first time I ever smelled weed. Um, and uh, I will never... Never forget that. Anyway, forget Kim that. Mitchell always comes up when I'm uh, on the way to the second beach, so we're going up to Kim Mitchell. All right. All right, brother. Peace out. Thanks, Bo.